Holy God, may the reading of your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we may walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Hear now God's word to us. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, Yins. It's time to get honest. There is a lot of tension floating around these days. Am I right? It feels like it's everywhere and in everything and coming up when I least expect it. Just this week, our executive presbyter, Sheldon Sorga, actually talked about all of what's going on in our world as a great shaking. And while some of the differing opinions are ones we're used to, like political differences, even those seem to get increasingly polarized every day. And then we have the ongoing debates that surface and resurface about systemic racism and its impact in American life every time we hear about yet another black American shot by police officers. But then add into that the pandemic, and we are arguing about things that we never expected to. I mean, who thought we would be arguing about masks in 2020, right? To mask or not to mask? And if so, when? In-person activities or online only? Should I send my child to school in person or do education all online? And even in the church, we have our age-old differences that seem to be right on the surface because of the pandemic. Traditional or contemporary music, 
screens in the sanctuary or no screens. And sadly, I recently heard a pastor friend of mine say that as we start opening our sanctuaries to limited in-person worship, we're potentially creating two distinct congregations, the one that chooses to come in person and the one that chooses to continue worshiping online. With all of these tensions and stress in our world, unfortunately, we often end up hurting one another, usually in unintentional ways. And with all the stresses that are in our lives right now, patience and understanding and grace are even more difficult than they already are for us sinful and selfish humans. Which is why I find the lectionary gospel text for today extremely well-timed. Although I don't believe that the Bible is meant to be only an instruction manual for day-to-day living, today's text directly looks at what we are to do when we have conflict. In fact, our text, first of all, shows that Jesus assumes there will be conflict among his followers. And what makes us Christian is not whether we fight, disagree, or wound one another, but how we go about resolving those issues. Just as we are to be different from the world in many other ways, Jesus calls us to resolve conflict from the world, as opposed to yelling and making our own points heard Jesus calls us to pursue reconciliation with every tool in our toolbox, to take every effort to prevent embarrassment or shame for the offender, to speak the truth in love, and to seek redemption, not punishment. And this is hard for us. For one, because as fallen human beings, we are prideful and self-centered. But also, living in a consumerist, individualistic nation where cancel culture has become the norm doesn't help either. We pride ourselves on independence, self-reliance, and individual authority. So is it any surprise that the dominant understanding of the local church in the modern day is that of a voluntary association of autonomous individuals? What do I mean by that? Well, instead of viewing ourselves as Paul did, as the interconnected body of Christ, a place where mutual interdependence, where each member is incomplete without the rest, where the suffering of one is the suffering of all, and where the honor of one leads to the rejoicing of all, Now, instead of viewing ourselves like that, too often we see the church as a voluntary association or club that we can simply cut and run away from 
whenever we're dissatisfied or angry. So the path that Jesus lays out for us to reconciliation is extremely difficult for us today. According to Jesus' direction, when a brother or sister in the faith sins against us, we are first to go to that person one-on-one and voice our grievance lovingly. And hopefully the offender acknowledges the hurt they have caused and repents. And we have regained the right relationship with them. Notice that it's the one who is offended who initiates this interaction. So often we cause rifts among ourselves and others without even knowing it. And if the hurt party never voices that grievance, the offender may never know. And resentment will build over time, making it more and more likely that the hurt will be returned in some way. This has unfortunately happened to me more times than I would like to admit. One particular story comes to mind from college where a friend and fellow Bible study leader suddenly stopped talking to me between our third and fourth years. We had been hanging out or talking to each other practically every day our third year, and especially in the spring semester when she went through a particularly difficult breakup. And so when I came back for the summer and suddenly needed a different apartment to stay in, I reached out to her to see if I could sublet her roommate's room for the summer. She promptly replied, no, and that she didn't think that we should talk or hang out for the rest of the summer. I had no clue where this was coming from. And trying to ask for clarification just seemed to frustrate her even more. Fast forward three months, and I got an email from my friend explaining that when I started dating this guy back at the end of the school year, I stopped talking to her as much, stopped checking in with how she was doing. She explained why she felt so hurt by my neglect and inaction, and how insensitive it felt that after not speaking for a while, I suddenly expected that she would open her apartment to me for the summer. Whenever I recall this story, I thank God that my friend had the courage to voice her grievance. I probably never would have known how I hurt her and would have lost that friendship for the rest of my life. But instead, because we worked through the conflict, the reconciliation that resulted only made our bond of friendship stronger, helping us to better interact with one another moving forward. It's a lifelong friendship where years later, I stood by her side as she got married, and she stood by mine when I took my own wedding vows. Friends, if we hope to live better as Christian brothers and sisters, we have got to bring up the hurts 
that we experience and seek reconciliation. I'm not saying to bring up every tiny little thing that offends you, but when you've experienced a legitimate grievance, Jesus exhorts you not to let things fester, but to go to the person and seek resolution and restored relationship. Okay, so if the person doesn't listen to you, Jesus says it's time to bring in one or two others. These people are meant to be unbiased, third-party voices who can bring outside perspective, help avoid misunderstandings, and help prevent later manipulation of who said what. I have also participated in multiple of these conversations over the years. And I can tell you that whether you're the offender, the offended, or the mediator, all of which I have been, it's not a fun or easy conversation. It's awkward and difficult. And yet, when it's done well, this type of conversation can make the difference between a restored relationship that can continue to grow into the future and one that you may never be a part of for the foreseeable future. If the person still doesn't listen, then it is time to bring the issue before the local church body. And maybe in today's context that wouldn't actually mean the entire congregation, maybe it's the session or a group of elders. Either way, if the offender still does not listen, confess, and repent, then what do you do? Well, Jesus says, seems to say that when irreparable damage has been done, now is the time to cut someone off or cut and run ourselves. Jesus says to let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, to give some context, in that day, these categories of people were some of the most scorned, looked-down-upon groups of people, along with Samaritans and Romans, the diseased and ritually unclean. These were sinners. They were the scum of society. So it stands to reason that when an offender is unrepentant, even to the entire church, he or she should be treated thus. I mean, that would be the common sense approach, right? To shake off the dust from one's feet, to wash one's hands of the person, and move on. And churches usually hear this verse as license to excommunicate, exile, or otherwise shun an individual. But is that really what Jesus is saying? So often with Jesus, things are not quite as they seem. And the easy interpretation is not always the best interpretation. So we have to look at the larger context to really understand what Jesus is telling us. For one thing, when we look across the scope of the entire Gospels, 
we see that Jesus did not treat Gentiles and tax collectors the way the rest of society did. No, Jesus was, quote, a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Matthew himself was a tax collector before Jesus called him to follow as a disciple. Or there's the famous story about which we have a children's song, Zacchaeus, a wee little man who went up in a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus was not just any tax collector either. He was a corrupt tax collector, one who charged more than he should and skimmed off the top for himself. And how did Jesus respond to him? Well, first he noticed him and called out to him. And then Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. And he did all of this before Zacchaeus acknowledged what he had done and repented. And Jesus does this all the time. He's always extending mercy and grace to sinners and Gentiles, eating with them and touching and healing them, refusing to condemn and send them away like the Pharisees did. If Jesus is our guide for how to let such a one be to us as a Gentile and tax collector, then we must see that love and grace and relationship is the response we are to have. Second, beyond Jesus' life in general, we need only look at the verses that surround our text today to get a better picture of what Jesus means. Directly before these verses, Jesus tells the story, the parable of the lost sheep. He says, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that did not go astray. And then immediately after our verses, Peter asks Jesus how often he should forgive a brother or sister. Seven times? No, Jesus says, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. In other words, as long as it takes. He then goes on to tell the parable of the unforgiving servant, who after being forgiven a great debt by the king, fails to forgive a minor debt of another. Based on a closer look at the context of these verses and Jesus' life in general, we must conclude with regards to those who sin against us that far from shunning them, Jesus commands us never to give up on them never to stop reaching out in love to them, always to yearn for grace to restore what has been broken. After all, isn't that what Jesus did for us? While we were yet sinners, while we were foes, enemies of God, the love of God in Jesus came to us, fought for us, died for us. Each of us is that sheep 
that Jesus left the 99 to go find and bring back. And each of us is the one whose great debts have been forgiven by Jesus, the King of heaven and earth. In the next verses, Jesus affirms that the congregation does have the power to loose and to bind, to punish or exclude, acting on God's behalf. But with all that Jesus has done for us, how can we not forgive and seek healing? And if we in the church do not forgive and heal, who else will? I'm not saying that this is easy work. And with serious offenses, it is seriously hard to forgive and to heal. But where two or three are gathered, Christ is there. And when we are gathered in Jesus' name, we are gathered in the knowledge that the risen Christ is with us in everything that we do. Look, in the church, we are a family. It's why in the Greek, these verses use familial, sibling language. And y'all, families are messy and dysfunctional. We get in arguments over minor things that we think are major. We get angry and overreact and lash out with harsh words that hurt when probably silence should have been the response. Or oppositely, we bottle things up and let bitter resentment grow. We lack humility and think of ourselves as higher than we should. We forget that we are not God. We are just like one drop in the sea. Dysfunction, hurt, and sinning against one another in the family we call the church has happened in the past, is happening today, and is going to keep happening, especially now when tensions are so high and just getting worse. We need to remember the direction of Jesus so that when not if a brother or sister sins against us. We will be ready to let love lift us out of that. It's hard to see in those moments how love can speak through the pain. And it is harder yet to actually do this work. But when we lean into and rely on the love we have in Jesus Christ, well then, that love becomes a power that rises up, a well that never dries up. It's the one thing we can always trust. So in the words of the Lady A, 
country band song. Let it be first. Let it be us. Let it be love. Amen.